Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We are back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And today we have an exciting guest on our show. His name is Jason Dorsey. Not only is he world famous, and you can't see it, but he's going, he's got his hands up in the air like, you know, raise the roof, baby. Jason's in the house. Well, Jason's just come out with a new book called Zeconomy, written with Denise Via, PhD. More about that in just a moment, but a couple of quick announcements. And that is that if you have a question or you want to tell your amazing story, just go to any one of the social media channels, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and share that story. If it's a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll answer the question there on this show or on my TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, C-Suite TV, and now we've moved the whole first uh, year of episodes to YouTube. So go to BeAmazing.tv. Thanks to our sponsor, Mitel, powering connections for over 50 years. Let's jump right into the interview with my buddy, Jason Dorsey. And I say my buddy, we're like brothers from another mother. Really, we didn't get to start knowing each other until, what, Jason, a year or so ago, if that? Yeah, about, but whew. Fast friends, basically Fast family friends. now. I mean, you can't get like, rid of me. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I look at this guy, and if I had that hair and that look and, and everything, <laughs> I'd, I'd have it made. But Jason is, uh, Jason, 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 maybe we should turn your name into a verb. <laughs> he is one probably of been the, used that way before. <laughs> <laughs> the most um, prolific, what I would call researchers, and his specialty is in generations. He's been on every major TV show, 60 Minutes Today Show, Early Show, you name it, he's been there. And this book, Zeconomy, the Gen Z will change the future of business, has just come out. And I thought, you know, so many times clients are asking me about how do we sell to whatever generation is, you know, it was the millennials, but now the millennials, it's like, a, it's like history. It's now Z. Yes. Well, we can't, dis- we were never going to discount the millennials. They're always there. I am a millennial. So, you know, I'm here <laughs> But no, <laughs> and I'm the- working <laughs> and, and you're working, which is a surprising thing. No, just so seriously though, this book is, is really geared to help you understand how the Z generation works in your business to understand them is to understand the future. Would that be uh, a good way of saying it? Yeah, absolutely. The book really has three parts to it. The first is separating myth from truth about Generation Z. And I think it's important to note that these aren't just kids. The oldest members of Gen Z, Shep, are 25 years old. And what's wild is they're 25 years old and they don't remember 9-11. This is a completely different generation. They're the fastest growing generation in the workforce, number one generation of consumer trendsetters, and they're very misunderstood. So the book breaks down what do you need to know about Gen Z? And then we look at what are the things you can do to engage with them as consumers and trendsetters and brand ambassadors, all those things that you're so good at. And then we also look on the employee side. How do we recruit, retain, motivate, and develop? Because this generation, what we've seen in our research at the Center for Generational Kinetics is for the first time, trends are starting with the youngest and rippling up to the oldest, particularly around technology and a lot of engagement, which is right up your alley. So things that let's say the 15 or 18 or 22 year old are doing naturally now, we're seeing the 50 and even 60 year olds adopt 
which is really wild and very important to know. Wow, that's crazy. And what about the generations in the middle? Yeah, so what we look at the generations just for context. So Gen Z is born in the US roughly about 1996 to about 2015. One of the things we discovered, I think it's super important, is the generation after Gen Z has now been born and is recognized. And what I mean by that is we're behavioral researchers at CGK. And what we were able to see is that three, four, five, and maybe even six-year-olds are not experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic in the way those older are. So for them, this isn't the negative, scary experience it is for, let's say, the nine-year-old like my daughter, who now is worried I can't visit grandma because if she gets sick and dies, that's my fault because maybe she got it from me all the way up to the 22 or 23 year old who went to college for four years to study retail merchandising, came out in the world and now there's no jobs there. So then you have Gen X, who's our millennials right before them, who are my generation. We were born somewhere between about 1977 to about 1995. And I say about because generations aren't boxes. Lots of people love to run around and put people in boxes. We do not believe that. We're fiercely against that at CGK. We believe generations are powerful and predictive clues, and we use research and math to unearth those. Because if you know those clues, you can faster connect with, build trust, and drive influence, which ultimately people want. So you have the millennials who are born anywhere from 77 to 81 would be the beginning, and the end would be about 1995. That sort of puts the youngest around 26-ish and the oldest around 40, which is usually a big shock for most people because they're like, oh, I think millennials are 25, but we've been talking about the 25-year-old millennial for 15 years. <laughs> Same one. <laughs> I wrote my first millennial book 15 years ago. <laughs> and then as you look ahead, then you have Generation X, who's not talked about enough, but is incredibly important. They're always overlooked. They're born about 1965 to 1976. They're the glue in the workforce. They're increasingly senior leaders. They're also the parents of Gen Z, a little alphabet soup there. And then we get to baby boomers uh, who are born about 1946 to 1964. I know you know them extremely well. And baby I is boomers. I, I is, well, and so uh, I, I didn't want to speculate. I think you look great. And what I was going to say, besides the uh, wall clock behind you, well, what I was going to say is the. Uh, <laughs> and the there is no wall clock behind <laughs> me, just for the record. <laughs> but uh, when we look at boomers, one thing that's really interesting that our research has shown is older boomers and younger boomers are actually very different. People have put them into one generation for a long time, but we actually think they're two different generations. They have very different formative events. Give me an example. But I, I mean, I can't, I mean, I get it. I would think somebody born in 46 could, is old enough to be my father practically. Well, right, maybe not quite, not, but well. six, you know, 14 to 16 years old, eight, you know, they're not, yeah, but. Yeah, so somebody born, what we've seen is somebody born between like 46 to say 52, 54, their formative events were much more the 60s, late 50s and the 60s. But if you look at somebody who was born, let's say, I'm going to make this up at 54 to 64, you're going to end up with a lot more 70s kids. So you actually have a very different time of coming of age. It's not when you're born that matters. It's what you experience when you come of age. That's when you start to assign a lot of values in the different events. So was it the, uh, the landing on the moon that was the formative event? Was it going from black and white to color TV? Or was it the Vietnam War? Like all of these things are mm. different. And so depending on your age, you would have had different experiences. Not just the fact that there is an age gap, but what was normal to them? What type of technology did they come up with? So it's super cool. We, um, you know, we have usually four or five generations in our, in our audiences at live events. And when we get people to share the technology that most impacted their youth as children, it's always shocking because even within the boomer generation, there was so much innovation. And like, we forget that. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, the, probably one of the biggest things in my world was I remember getting my first computer at age 22. And almost wow. putting it in the closet saying, I don't get this, you know, and, 
you know, Amazing. 22. There was, my monitor was a green screen with, I don't know if it was white or yellowish kind of letters. And I'll never forget the guy who, 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 you know, when he set it up for me, he says, watch this. He took his finger and he started at one end of the keyboard, you know, like a typewriter keyboard. And he went from A and he, you know, in the middle and he just ran his finger across and you heard it as he ran his finger. And on the screen, like a second or two behind it, the letters would start to show up on the screen. He goes, look at that. Almost as fast as you could punch the letter, that was <laughs> on the screen. And, and uh, it was, you know, the dot matrix printers became daisy wheel printers. And, you know, where you could print 150 words a minute. Now you just print the whole page at once in color, you know. But I would say, uh, and I read this book by Dan Sullivan, who is my coach, the strategic coach. He, I believe the book was called The Great Crossover. And he talks about all the things that changed the world, all the innovations, the Gutenberg Press, for example, being able to mass produce uh, printing. But the one he said today is the microchip because the microchip changed everything. The ability to condense the computer down to a size where we could have it on our desk and eventually our lap and eventually our phone. Uh, it's amazing. Now I'm going on and on. This is your your thing, but this was this is what changed for me. Is I think uh, I look at look at my history and I thought to myself, for the first ten years of business, I could have had a website and content marketing back in the '80s. Wow, what I would I'd be not just ten years ahead. I was young enough to have more energy than I have today, and I got a lot of energy. But I, I mean, think about it. So, yeah, well, what's your big? That- what was your big technology? Ooh, you know, for me, I would say the biggest thing was uh, mobile phones. Getting my first cell phone, I think, was probably a really big deal Mm -hmm. uh, for me. I mean, it was interesting, and this is sort of part of the point of the Z Economy book. There are things that seem like breakthroughs to other generations, but one of the things we discovered, one of my most famous quotes, is that technology is only new if you remember it the way it was before. So because you remember the time. Tweet that. <laughs> Technology is only new if you remember the way it was before. Yeah. So so what's interesting is the Gen Zers who are studying today, uh, they've come of age, always been able to speak. So my daughter who's nine, if she wants something, she asks Alexa for it. So we'll, we'll literally come home and she'll be like, Alexa, what's five times seven? Alexa, what's the capital of Wyoming? Alexa, I, that's just. So By she the didn't way, even have to nobody can typing. see this, but as you're talking, can she is just, your Alexa going off behind you? My Alexa's going <laughs> off because you keep asking her questions. <laughs> but but that's what's so powerful. Just, she just said, by the way, five times seven is 35. Outstanding. <laughs> so it's it's that sort of ability to engage with technology that's totally different. And that that's what's so fascinating between a breakthrough and what's normal when you ask the same generation. So when we look at Gen Z, they've always been able to make decisions based on recommendations. So YouTube would always recommend the next video, even Netflix would recommend all this content all around them constantly recommended versus searching for it. Even using Amazon itself uh, as a search feature. I mean, it's just so fascinating, Uh, but that's normal to them. That's not a breakthrough to them versus things that are changing now where all of a sudden, oh, I remember before, now I remember it in the future. So for example, COVID-19 is the generation defining moment for Gen Z. This is the event that has changed where they are and how they think about the future, even how they use technology, online learning. Think about how all these young people like my daughter who are now going to school. So my daughter's nine. She's in the book. And what's interesting is she's in fourth grade uh, and her, her final project of third grade, which we didn't know she did until afterwards, she made her presentation on Google Classroom. She built it. It's in English and Spanish. She goes to Spanish school. 
It was full animation, uh, hand-drawn and otherwise. She presented it through Google Classroom. She saved it. It up, was uploaded to the cloud, turned it in. That was her final project. And she never asked us once for help. We didn't even know she did it. And then later she saw one of my slides and said, dad, maybe I can help you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can make yours better. <laughs> and she's nine and this is normal to her. So just, that's it's great. So fascinating. Yep. Well, the book is called Zeconomy and it is by Jason Dorsey and Denise Villa and Ervilla, excuse me. And it's about how Gen Z will change the future of business and what to do about it. You can get it at Amazon today. We're going to take a short break. We're coming right back. Let's talk when we come back, Jason, about specifics in the book and how it and how Gen Z is going to impact customer service and experience. Don't go away. We're coming right back with Jason Dorsey. Your world has had enough unknowns. It's time to take control of your future. In business, it's all about creating meaningful human connections. When circumstances are keeping us all at a distance, it's even more important to focus on making every interaction count. Well, Mitel Remote Working Solutions powers your connections from the inside out. So you have all the tools you need to have high performance moments with everyone in your network, whether it's in the next cubicle or a makeshift wildfire refugee in the next state. Cloud communications keeps everything at your fingertips so you and your teams can communicate and collaborate easily no matter what's happening. So are you ready to move forward to fortify your business communications? Get started with Mitel, and you can reach them and learn more at mitel.com forward slash remote work. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Jason Dorsey about his book, Zeconomy. And as I was reading through the book, there was something that jumped out at me, and it was when Gen Z decides to buy. Because... So much of what we talk about is customer service and experience, and so much of what Gen Z wants is an experience before they make a purchase. Absolutely. Yes? Yeah. That's absolutely true. So um, I just thought it was fascinating that a lot of my research as I do, and by the way, I learned a lot of what I learned related to research from my man, Jason Dorsey. And as we looked at the cross-section of ethnicity, age, gender, et cetera, we went down to 18 years old, which means we caught some Gen Zers, but we also mixed it in with a lot of other people. And by the way, I'm referring to my Achieving Customer Amazement Report. But uh, we found that uh, service and experience slash convenience trumped almost everything in every area. But for Gen Z, price is number one. Yeah, absolutely. This is what's really exciting. So we, we do, uh, we've led over 65 generational studies. And so for us, we try to go in with an open mind of not knowing what the answer is going to be, right? We're often as surprised as everybody else. And in this one, it was interesting because price, when we look at it, Gen Z and, and most of our studies that we've done when we've talked about money, Gen Z comes back as the most frugal generation, which I think mm. is shocking for people. Because people think, oh, they're young, so they're just spending money, free spirit. It's the complete opposite. They came of age around the Great Recession. They saw their parent or parents struggle. They saw people lose houses. They felt the fear, the anxiety, everything that went with the Great Recession. And because of that, what we saw is Gen Z was much more frugal or practical with their money. And as a result, and, this, and again, these two weren't connected. One's a behavioral driver. One's actually a preference question. But when we got down to the preference question, price was the number one thing that would get them to buy, pull them in, create that sense of I'm interested. And the reason is Gen Z is a generation that most wants to know they're getting a good deal. 
Yep. And I think that's super important because they expect a good deal all the time. They have always been able to get a digital coupon, an instant rebate. Now they can pay for things in installments without using a credit card. So for them, price is incredibly important. And I think that that's important for everybody as they think about experience, because if you're really trying to win Gen Z, you could be pitching the wrong things. So you're talking luxury and exclusivity. And what we find is the generation actually is much more interested in price initially and the other things later on. But if you don't have the right pricing structure, you can lose them. So price Low price isn't as important as the good deal. Correct. And there's an important distinction there that you bring up wisely as usual. And that is lowest <laughs> price uh, doesn't mean best price. And some people try to go super cheap. Uh, an easy way to think about this is you could buy an airplane ticket, but you got to pay for everything, right? You got to pay for every bag you bring on. You got no snacks, whatever. You got to pay to not sit next to the bathroom or something. So they're going to give you the cheapest price, but at the same time, you're going to be missing out. On the flip side is we find Gen Z will pay more if it's part of, let's say, an all-inclusive trip. Turns out they'll pay a lot of money because you're putting a whole lot of things. So they're getting a good deal holistically mm -hmm. and they yep. may be paying a lot more, but they still feel like they're getting a good deal, even though the price could be higher than just sort of the price only model. So I think it's important to, you can be both, you can be one of the two, but you can't be both. Great. So I love number two. Number two is like my favorite of the five, and that is the most important factor uh, number two is ease of purchase. In other words, convenience. Yes, absolutely. And when we think about ease of purchase, even going a little bit further, is uh, one click to buy, a voice to buy, uh, recommended to buy. I've already bought before, so I should be able to buy again without having to fill out everything. Right. I mean, it, the way we like to say it is how simple can you make it so it just works? is really key. It's got to work on mobile or I like to be able to pay it in a digital way. And in possible going forward now, we're seeing recommendations around purchasing even to phones that say, hey, such and such special is going on. Would you like it? Click yes. And now this is super cool. Now we're working with companies that do text to pay. So you would just use your normal text messaging to pay. And it goes as easy. One of them's in the book called Everywhere that you could just write yes and it will automatically buy whatever it was recommending to you. You don't have to enter in your credit card number. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just put Just type yes. out yes. Yep. Wow. And you'll wow. All right. <laughs> and number, number three is they love ratings and reviews. They like to see from others and get the opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reason that ratings and reviews are particularly important to Gen Z, this is all from the same study, and, and this is an important generational distinction, and I, I like to separate this. So as, as, as I think all of your listeners know, but it's worth repeating, you stay in the same generation, but you pass through different life stages, right? Baby boomers are once teenagers, right? You, 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 you age up. Ratings and reviews vary in importance based on the purchase you're making at different life stages. And the reason is the older you are, the more types of purchases you make. Maybe you've bought, I don't know, pick something five times. You're not so worried about it, but the younger you are, you made fewer purchases. So ratings and review early on as a consumer overweight in terms of importance because you have not ever made that purchase. So you're going to somebody else for them to tell you what it's like because it feels higher risk if you make the wrong purchase. Now, the way you overcome this, by the way, uh, is full refunds and free shipping. So That's actually number four is <laughs> the ease of re returns. And by the way, we go back to convenience. I'm just writing a report right now, uh, and Forrester came out with these stats and facts. It'll be one of my Forbes articles that um, if you are, you know, you, you need to make it so damn easy for uh, anybody to experience the product. And one of the ways I'm interpreting this is that, Yes. If you want them to experience it, tell them to take it. And if they don't like it, send it back. No hassle. No, it's easy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the way you do reduce risk, by the way, for um, any online purchases. The, the big risk is being stuck with something you don't like. It's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. We've done a study on that a few times. So that one risk is overpaying, but people feel like that risk is less and less online because they feel like there's more transparency and competition. But the other is you buy something that's the wrong size or it doesn't taste the way that you want or doesn't look the way you thought it would on your wall and being stuck with it. So that mm. ease of return is a huge deal to overcome objection uh, in the sales process. So I really like that one. And you know, as we're talking about this, uh, I think what would be also good is to maybe share a few more of the value drivers that affect the customer experience just quickly. Only, um, only after you give me the fifth one, the fifth and final, which was referenced a little bit because it ties in. And that is that uh, if, if people want to hear out, it just says rounding out the five drivers for first time purchases specifically is that they know somebody that bought it or used it before. Yeah. And so the way that they um, circulate that frequently, and I don't, you know, I see this because we observe a lot of Gen Zers is they'll post on social media or send a group text or pass the question looking for recommendations saying, has ever anybody bought this or anybody been to this restaurant or has anybody tried out this company? And so it's pretty fascinating. Now, this is a little bit surprising. The number one group that they trust when they're looking for somebody to give them that recommendation is a family member or a friend. Now I say that because ratings and reviews, they're looking for strangers, but when they're looking for that direct recommendation, it's either a family member who they feel is on their side or a friend who they believe will have similar tastes to their own. This is pretty fascinating because it doesn't mean that they do, but they certainly think that way. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and by the way, that's really focused on a first time purchase. Correct. Yep. Correct. Love yeah. It. First time purchase is that is perceived as the highest risk because it has the most unknown. Yep. And Really, I mean, they still would probably look at reviews anyway, but they want to hear from their friend, from a family member, from a colleague, if they're working. Yeah. I mean, you're, everything you're saying, I'm, I'm reading into it. My daughter is not, you know, it's like, she is the typical Gen Zer. She is one hard working girl. Yes. She's, she keeps her money under her mattress. Well, not yeah. anymore. Once we found it, we taught her how to invest it properly. <laughs> but no joke. We went into a room one day and, oh, the way we found out about it, she went to get like some like manicure and the woman called us and said, your daughter has a wallet loaded with cash. Well, she was babysitting and hoarding her money for the most part. <laughs> and she, she said, we said, can we see how much money? She had like $800 but it's only because she didn't know what to do with it. And then well, and exactly she goes, well, right. if you think this is a lot, check this out. She opened up a box in a room filled with cash. So we immediately got an investment advisor, my friend, Jeff, to come over and sit down and teach her how to put her money into this investment savings account. Anyway, I, de I, I digress here. Uh, no, it's so, it's so good. There's a great story in the book about that. And, uh, what, and this is, happens a lot. And I love parents always love this one where Gen Zers, let's say they're 15, 16, 17, they'll have a birthday party or they'll have a birthday and they get money and they'll take the money and they'll go put it away just like your daughter did. And then they'll come back to their parents and say, hey, can I have 50 bucks? Yeah, and exactly. And their mom will dad will be like, what? you just got all that money. And they'll be like, no, no. That's my money. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. No, our, our daughters are amazing. You know, I have one right on the cusp there at 25 and another one at 27. And by the way, the difference between the 25-year-old and the 30-year-old is night and day. Yes. Uh, in a lot of sense. In mm -hmm. a lot of sense. Not that it's bad or worse, but it's just different. It's, it's just unique. different. We're yeah. running out of time. Here's what I want. Um, I always ask for the one thing question. So this is the one thing today. What is the one idea, the one concept in this book that you, if they get it, if the reader gets it, it's worth a hundred times what they paid, a thousand times 
with. I already think it's a great book to begin with. Yeah. The number one thing I would encourage uh, your listeners to do is to create what we call a generational snapshot. And this is always a shock when they do it. And what that means is you find the ages of your customers. And if you have to approximate it, you can. And then think of it as a pie chart. And what we find is when people do a pie chart by generation of their current customers, they're always shocked by the generational breakdown. There's always shocked. And then they're concerned usually because they're skewing much older than they thought and they're not bringing in that next generation. And it helps you to create a sense of what, what we call sort of practical urgency. It says, okay, this is really what it looks like now. And if we wanna be in business two, three, four, five years from now, we've got to make sure that we're engaging this next generation. And then in the book, what we talk about is it's to treat Gen Z, really view Gen Z not as millennials 2.0. They are not a more extreme version of millennials. They are completely different. And if you know that, then you open yourself up to being able to adapt. And this generation we find is the number one generation to write positive things online, to recommend brands and so forth. So if you win them, you win them and their friends. It's a huge opportunity. Huge. The book is called Z-Economy by Jason Dorsey and Denise Villa. I suggest you like, uh, like Monopoly, do not pass gold, do not collect $200 until you buy this book. It is truly an outstanding book. Uh, and actually, it's amazing because in the last few weeks, I think I've gotten two or three possible additions to my end of year best book of the year list. This is without a doubt one of the best. I like it because it's easy to read. I understand it, even though it's a somewhat technical uh, topic, and it's extremely relevant to your business, to any business, small, big, service, product, B2B, manufacturing, business to business, business to consumer, doesn't matter. Jason, this is why we call it Amazing amazing Business Radio, because you're amazing. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And thanks for all the great wisdom you bring to the world, Chef. It's an honor to be your friend and to be on your show. Oh, ditto. An honor to be your friend. Man, thanks so much for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, wraps up another week of Amazing Business Radio, another interview. Jason, you truly are the best. Forget the rest. There is no other. I feel like that's a beer commercial. When you've said, bud, you've said it all. No. <laughs> no. But no, when you said Z-economy, when it comes to understanding generations, you truly have said it all. Thanks for being here. We'll be back next week with another amazing interview. And until then, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>